Hi, my name is John Kasher and welcome to Cash Talk, where there'll be no boundaries and a lot of straight talk. All things money, business, and just everyday stuff. Hey guys, before we get started, just a quick reminder that all the information in this podcast is of a general nature and not tailored to your personal circumstances. So please seek personal financial advice before acting on this information. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Cash Talk. And today I'm joined by a regular um, guest, Jane Mackay. Jane, how are you? I'm well, thanks, John. How are you? Not bad, not bad at all. Uh, the money world keeps spinning. There's always moving parts. Uh, more legislation changes were announced last night, which I'm unpacking as we speak. And yeah, um, you know, hearing more troops getting posted on the uh, on the front line of of Ukraine, which is you know obviously concerning, but mm. a lot of moving parts. But you know, today we're going to be talking about something that's you know kind of shaped me and my way of thinking for a while. Um, and I know you're interested to learn about it. So maybe for the listeners and viewers out there, what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to be talking about your investment philosophy. And I know it's something you get asked about a lot. Um, I imagine that at barbecues and social events, when you're allowed to have them, you get asked, what's your latest stock tip? But I know it goes a lot deeper than that. And I know it's something our clients ask us about. So Tell us about the elements of your wealth creation philosophy, John. Yeah, so it's very interesting. Like wealth creation and, and particularly around the investments is, is, is quite, has been quite a journey for me, to be honest with you. Like where I sit right now in the way that I think about wealth creation and investments is, is, is much different to when I first started out, I must admit. Okay, and you've got to think about a very young boy when I, when I started in this world and it was... It's kind of basic thinking back then. And I, you know, yes, it is what it is, you know, for a 14 year old, I'm not going to kind of beat myself up about it. Um, but really the, let's start with the wealth creation philosophy, which is slightly different to the investment philosophy. Let's start there. Yeah. The wealth creation philosophy is to actually create a simple, sustainable and scalable framework to get to most people's destination, which is financial freedom. And for people that aren't aware exactly what financial freedom is, it's just a choice to no longer trade time for money, aka retire, all right? Now, most people know what that looks and feels like. Some people can even kind of imagine it and draw it and touch it, okay? Um, but it's about building a framework and a system to get there. And I think most people I see don't have that system. So what we've done is created a, or what I've done and obviously been the, you know, kind of shaping this is to build a wealth creation framework that creates that system to create the highest probability of getting to there. And there's a lot of factors that are involved, which, you know, for the listeners and the viewers that have obviously been, you know, on this, there's, you know, mindset and road mapping and simple strategies. And then there's, you know, particular levers we can pull on. But one of them in this whole piece is around mm -hmm. investments and, and the multiplication of money. Okay. And this is where the investment piece kind of is, Drop. is drops. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so, and it's probably the one that I get spoken about the most because people are excited. And let's be honest, okay, most people are driven on their on their decisions based on greed and fear, okay? And most people were being in a market that has been growing, and we're talking about a stock market and a property market in Australia, which has been growing for a significant amount of time, okay? We're talking about the GFC really, which was 2008. We did have the 2020 kind of crash, but that rebounded so quickly, it felt like a sneeze, okay? 
the reality is, is that it's been growing. So this kind of, you know, they're just seeing the multiplication of money. So they want to know. So when it comes to my investment philosophy, it's really around a goal-based approach. Okay. Let's, this is the first thing. We're never just investing money or I'm never telling and advising clients just to invest their money, just to make money. Mm. There's a reason, there's a goal, there's a purpose. And obviously the big goal is financial freedom. So what we need to do is to create a framework in the investments that are going to create the highest probability of them achieving that goal. So when you think about it, we're kind of mapping this out and we're saying, okay, well, I don't know. Let's say the goal is 20 years away. Okay. But there's things, there's money or, or, or things that you need available that you need to touch in the next one or two years. Mm. And what I'm talking about, there might be holidays, there might be um, car upgrades, there might be renovations of house, there's emergency money. So what we try and do is bucket the money into different buckets. And this is where the investment philosophy comes in. So think about it. So let's say we've got that 20 year goal, which is that financial freedom. Okay. But we've got, I don't know, $100,000 worth of goals that we need to kind of achieve or objectives in the next, say, 12 to 24 months. So it would be in my system, we would be looking at it and saying, okay, well, we need the money very soon. So the time horizon, well, can we risk any deviation of that money not being where it needs to be? Mm. no like we need literally close to like 100 that if you're going to get married and you need the money for your wedding you need the money for your wedding mm. if you were going to buy a deposit for a house like at one year away oh like you need a deposit for a house there's no we can't take any risks on that mate. Mm. so what we do is we have what we call a bucketing system that sits behind these goals okay and in that bucket is what I like to call the safety bucket, okay? So in that safety bucket is emergency money, short-term money. And as you can see from the way that I'm talking, that usually this is where we hold a lot of cash. Now, also mixed in this bucket, okay, is the living expenses that you're going to need if you are in financial freedom. So I'll give you an example, okay? A lot of clients, when they experience market crashes, okay? Usually panic because they don't have a lot in the war chest, okay? If you've got a lot in the war chest, you're not really worried about what's happening in the stock market because you're like, I've got a lot of money in the war chest. And so what we want to try and do is have a mixture in this safety bucket of emergency money, money we need in planned expenditure, but also enough in that buffer to allow you to sleep at night and not make emotional decisions based on your investments. So if we are setting, which I'll get to into in a moment, about a strategic asset allocation that's going to give you the highest probability of achieving your goals, and that strategic asset allocation says that based on your tolerances, based on your goals, you must have approximately 20% in cash. Well, guess what's going to be in that safety bucket as well? Hmm. About 20% of your overall money sitting in cash to ride out those waves so that you continue to sleep at night, okay? Bucket number one, okay? So goals, just to recap, goals, buckets. Bucket number two is what I like to call the income bucket, okay? Now, if you think about this, when you're working, okay, you're filling up the safety bucket, 
you're filling up the income bucket and you're going to be filling up the growth bucket. And in Australia, we're very fortunate. The growth bucket is usually a hell of a lot of superannuation, which gets mm. filled up by your employer, okay? Or if you're self-employed, you do contributions as well, but that's the growth bucket. But let's focus on the income bucket for now. That income bucket is the bucket when you stop work, okay? Or you wanna start transitioning out of work, that's gonna supply you with that passive income stream. I'm sure everyone sits there and looks at their bank for the interest that they get every month on their bank accounts. You know what I mean? Mm. So this is the one that's going to provide you with the income. Now, this is very interesting, this bucket. Traditionally, this was made up by things like potentially term deposits. It was sometimes made up of bonds, okay? But because bonds and term deposit rates have become so low, the income being derived from these assets aren't high enough to sustain that passive income stream. So this is where we would we have had to take on more risk, okay, to allow for those income streams to come in. So we're really focused on assets that have a high income level, but it then poses an issue that we need to attack because when you associate income, you then associate tax. And this is where a lot of people get it wrong. So in the income bucket, it is much about getting a high income level that is tax effective. We need to have the tax effectiveness of here. And this is where I see a lot of problems occurring where people are going, setting up their own stuff. They're building investments, but are they tax effective? And in most cases, I will tell you nine out of 10, wrong. There is a better way. There's a better structure that can help them to be tax effective. Okay. So we've got this income bucket. So income bucket, obviously when you're not working, helps you to fill up the safety bucket. Now, the money sitting in that income bucket, yeah, we don't really want to touch that money. Like similar to like in the safety bucket, you want to touch it. Okay. Like you can touch it. More importantly, you can touch it. In the income one, you don't really want to. But if you ran out of the safety bucket, the income bucket would be topping up the safety bucket, if that makes sense. Like that's your next yeah. point of call. Ideally, what you're draining out of the safety bucket, the income bucket is topping it up by. It's like this, 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 this beautiful system. Okay. Then you've got the growth bucket. Now, the growth bucket is assets that I like to say, but I freak people out, that you're never going to touch. And people are like, John, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Now, let me take it one step further. It's that you're never going to sell. Okay. So these are things like superannuation, potentially property, okay, where they're long-term assets, okay, usually, you know, seven or 10 plus years away, okay, that are going to experience economic cycles, you know, they're going to go up, they're going to go down, they're going to go up, they're going to go down, but you're going to hold them for a long period of time. And what you're hoping is that they've got a capital growth focus, that they're going to grow over time. And as these grow, they're also going to derive an income. Now, why this is important is because those, that growth focus bucket fills up, fills up, fills up, fills up. And while you're working, you're filling up the safety, you're filling up the income, you're filling up the, the growth bucket. But when you stop working or when you're financially free, the growth bucket tops up the income bucket, the income bucket tops up the safety bucket. So in, in accumulation, you're going upstream. Yeah. In distribution, you're going downstream. Okay. So in capital growth scenarios tax effectiveness is very very important okay but what goes in there is like never coming out that's the mindset you got to have mm. because it's all growing proportionately with your the top level bucket is bringing mm -hmm. all the other buckets with so then you can maintain your lifestyle mm-hmm through that retirement when you're starting to rely on your investments to to fall out 
into your other buckets. So you never have to compromise on that. Never. And the, the, see, the thing is, is that when you set up this, you've got a system that you can trust. Okay. Mm. And what I mean by that, it's like when you think about and take a step back. So let's say a GFC happened. In that scenario, what assets are going to be affected? Most likely the growth bucket, but you're not going to need that money. You've, you've given it, like you're not going to touch it. Yeah. So you're not concerned because I've got a, I've got a bucket load in the, um, I've got a bucket load in the safety bucket and the income, well, is my income still coming in? If the answer is yes, what do you got to, like, I'm not talking about personal exertion, is it the income from the income bucket? If that is still coming in, then you're cool. Then you're cool. You've got nothing yeah. to worry about. And so that's why a lot of our clients don't panic because we've got a system in their investment framework to allow them to continue to achieve their goals regardless of what's happening. Now, in this, you will see that there's overlays of a lot of things. Mm. Tax effectiveness. This is tax effective investment planning. This is not just put it in these buckets and hope for one of the biggest erosions of people's wealth is paying unnecessary taxes. Okay. Mm. The other one is you've heard me is we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket. You can see I'm talking about cash. I'm talking about bonds. I'm talking about shares. I'm talking about property. I'm talking about all these different asset classes that are in certain buckets for certain reasons. Yeah. Mm. And where people fail is that they're putting the assets in the wrong buckets or they're not having enough in the right bu wrong buckets before they get to the next stage. Yeah. There's no, if you think about this, it's, it's a well-coordinated framework. Yeah. To create the highest probability of you achieving your goals. Mm. Now, if I say to people, if we do this, we've got the highest probability of achieving your goals or we go to the cast and roll the dice. The casino. <laughs> yeah. Let's go to the casino. Let's roll it on. Now, I unfortunately see so many people going and doing that. And I'll take this one step further. If you have no plan, if you have no structure, if you have no framework, how do you know what you're risking? And I can tell you what you're risking in most cases. You're risking rocking up in your 50s and 60s, wanting to retire and not having the amount of money that you need to be financially free. And, and it's not just, yeah, and it's not just a matter of retiring and having the ability to retire. It's also maintaining your lifestyle. Like I'm not going to suddenly stop having holidays mm. when I retire because mm -hmm. I haven't got enough money. Like that mm -hmm. is not part of the plan. Mm -hmm. The plan is to take more holidays. Correct. And so we need to build that into the plan mm -hmm. from the outset. Correct. And this is where roadmapping is so important. It's like, mm. how much, how much can we, how much do we have for today? How much do we need for tomorrow? And having that even balance to then what goes into this investment framework, because really we're pulling two levers when it comes to cash, okay? Cash flow. Okay. So what we're left over with in sustained surplus of cash flow gets allocated to debt or investments. Now we're talking about investments today, but you've got to think about it. It's that even balance. Yeah. And we talk about the same cash flow. We're not there telling clients to eat out of baked bean cans and just white bread. Yeah, we're saying we're going to live life along the way. We're going to smell the roses, okay? Mm, mm. But we also want you to achieve these goals. Now, the thing is, is when I tell people how much money you need to be financially free, I will tell you that most people have no clue. Yeah? No, now, I, I did not know. <laughs> no, most people have no clue. Like if I said to you, you know, to most people, what's your dream life? How much do you need to support that? They'll say, oh, I need 500 million. Or I need a million dollars. Yeah, like they're just like way off. No one actually knows what that number is. And when you have a plan and you have a framework and you have a system based on goals, we know the number. Like I can tell you that most people 
need $4 million of assets outside the family home for Lamb to live a life that they will love. And you want me, I'll explain this to you. $4 million earning 5% returns gives you $200,000 a year. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> without, without touching the four mil. And the four mil keeps growing? Well, at 5%, you'd be living off the earnings, but it's pretty nice yeah, to have pretty nice to have four mil. You're not touching it. It just lives there. Correct. So when it comes to things like legacy and passing on to your kids and all of that stuff. Now, you know, some people have been seeing what I've been posting on my stories on Instagram and then on, on you know, on my groups and stuff like that. And if, and if the listeners and viewers aren't on there, jump onto my Instagram at that John Casher. Um, and I share some amazing stories when we build these plans. And some people are getting to 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 mil. Yeah. Mm. The reality is once they get the past 4 million, I say to them, this point onwards, yeah, in most cases, some people are different, but let's just use it for generally, yeah. Past this point, you just all cream. Yeah, like I'm literally just all here cream. Thinking, what am I going to do with my two hundred thousand dollars a year? That's and what if I you mean. Don't, if if you don't need that to live on, it does mm. keep growing. Correct. And so where the problems and that's where you get to the fourteen, fifteen millions. Correct. And so we actually are sometimes struggle to when we do the plans to get people to spend the money. Like, yeah, I'm going to be straight I'll with give you. It it's, a like, it's like, it's like, when, how many times do you want to upgrade the car? Oh, that's not really important for us. Yeah, I get that. But when you're worth $15 million, yeah, <laughs> are you going to buy a better car than your $10,000 used? No, nah, well, it's not important. Okay, are you going to get holidays? Like, I really holidays. try and, I really try and push the envelope. Yeah, or push the, the, the thing on what kind of life you want to live because mm. we can't take this to the grave. You look at like Warren Buffett, which I'll speak about in a moment, who's been great, like a big impact on my philosophy. Um, you know, he's going to give 99% of his wealth away. Donate. Yeah. Yeah, and, because... and the more wealth you have, the more good you can do because you can give it to people who need it. Correct. Okay. So it's this system creates some serious level of wealth. Okay. And it creates it with a higher probability. Now, the other thing as well, too, that is all of the, in all of this as well, too, which I'm a big on. So you heard me about diversification. Diversification reduces the level of risk that's exposed in a person's life. Okay. Now, there's a lot of other risks that we're, we're factoring in and managing, if you kind of think about it. And, and my degree is financial risk management. That's where I kind of specialized in. But there's a lot of risks that we're mitigating by having this structure. But diversification is critical, okay? When the stock market goes down, for example, usually the bond market goes up. Now, I'm going to say usually, yeah? So you got to think about these things that are like correlated, Yeah. The other thing as well too, in the bucketing system that you've got, it also allows you to not be everything going down at once, yeah, mm. which is which causes heartache, yeah. So we're controlling like emotional risks, let's talk, talk it. We're talking which is about one of the biggest risks. Huge, yeah. This system's trying to base, base everything based on logic, not based on emotion. So diversification is another one. Now, when it comes to diversification and when we have this system, we also set certain rules, let's call it, when we set up people's plans, okay? And I'm going to talk about what we call a strategic asset allocation. So now that we know what your planned expenditure is going to be, let's say we've baked that in, okay? So take the planned expenditure. And what I'm talking about is like renovations, holidays, all of that. So take that aside. 
And we need to get to this $4 million of net worth outside the home by the time the individual's 55, let's say, okay? Mm -hmm. Well, what we do is we reverse engineer this and say, well, what's the, what's kind of the earnings rate range, yeah, that, that these assets need to make to get to that goal, okay? Now, let's just use it, for example. Like if you put all your money in cash and you need to make 7% returns to get to where you need to get to, it's going to be very, very unlikely that you're going to achieve your goal. Unless- At the moment, gosh. Unless you move that 55 out to 85, yeah? No so, one wants to do. No one wants to do. We need to find out a good level between what they can tolerate, yeah? Mm. Versus what the goal is set to achieve. And what that does is that makes a strategic asset allocation broken down off different asset classes that are going to produce that likely return. Now, what I'm talking about, for example, is let's just use the stock market or the property market, okay? Now, let's just use that they're likely to, you know, but not likely, let's just say, earn an average of, say, 7%, okay? So if we've got 50% of your money in property and stocks, okay, and we've got the rest of your 50% just, say, in cash, okay? Well, we know that if you're 50% in cash earning, say, zero, close enough to, yeah, and the no other's earning one. And the other <laughs> one's earning 7%, yeah? Yeah. That's going to give us a return of 3.5% on average, yeah? It's even maths I can do. Correct. <laughs> And Three and a half percent. It's not that hard. So the more yeah. you tilt it towards growth oriented assets like stocks and property, yeah, mm. that number goes up. But every time you go up, the more you want, the more you got to risk. Okay. Mm. So you got to think about it. Then there's this kind of risk return trade off. And so what we're trying to do is say, okay, well, here's the goal. Yeah, this is what we're trying to achieve. What's the lowest level of risk that we need to take? to get to that goal. Now, this is mm. mind-blowing. Most people say to me, oh my gosh, John, like you're not taking the highest risk to make that happen tomorrow. No, we're not trying to get rich quick, guys. Yeah, we're trying yeah. to get rich slowly, but with the highest level of probability. Because if you want to play with fire, you're likely to get burnt, okay? And it's that certainty which alleviates the emotion. Bingo. Which is Bingo. that big wild card we've talked about previously in, in investing. And so when we talk about the people where this all kind of comes from, yeah, you know, you think about the likes of Warren Buffett, okay? Really kind of the father of investing and, and probably the person who's kind of leading the charge in, in modern investing, okay? Or not modern, it's, you know, what I would like to call the way it should be, okay? And before him, Benjamin Graham, okay? so. Reality is everything that I'm talking about today is not secrets, okay? This is from these guys, yeah, who have created billions and billions of dollars in worth. Now, just so you can understand what we're talking about, if Warren Buffett wasn't so generous with his money, yeah, and didn't give about, a, I think to today's, it's about it's over $100 billion he's donated, yeah, he would be the richest man yeah. on this planet as we speak, okay? Richest person on this planet, okay? Now, so we're going to this philosophy from a very, very wealthy man and from a lot of people who follow it. You can see that in this structure, first and foremost, there's a structure, mm. there's a system, there's rules. So where's the problem? 
for the listeners and viewers that are sitting there going, John, this sounds too easy. Yeah. Where is the problem? Do you want to have a crack, Jane? And I know you should maybe know this. You've known me for a while. Where do you reckon the problem is in all of this? Normally in finance and investing, people are the problem. Yep. Unfortunately, us as humans we chase shiny, shiny objects. objects. <laughs> exactly. We're chasing shiny objects. And unfortunately, when it comes to our own money, we're emotionally connected to it. Mm. Now, for clients who listen to this and for people that maybe uh, you know, think about working with our team or whatever's going to be, it's about sticking to the plan. Now, why is that the case? Is because the plan has predetermined the logical outcome for you to kind of do what you need to do. Now, so what we want to do is encourage that we stick to the plan as much as possible. Now, in the wealth creation framework that I've designed, there's a talk about automation of investments. And the reason why is that when the money comes in, it needs to be kind of automated to go through the system, go through the system. And soon as you start tinkering, you're starting to get emotion involved. Now, so, so if you want to read a great book, guys, there's, um, there's two great books that I would like, like love, love to, to get for people to get a good insight, if you haven't already. Psychology of, of Money, okay, uh, from Morgan Housel, okay, and the, I forget his name, I think it's James Mortimer, uh, Mortier, Mortier um, which is the little book about behavioral investing, okay, and probably do them in that order, okay, and you'll realize that there's a lot in regards to behaviors and emotions that stuff up people's wealth creation and investment philosophy. Okay. And I am constantly training myself to not be emotionally connected to stuff to the point where I don't manage my own finances from a financial advice perspective. Yes. Mind blown. It is not me. It's one of my team members who executes on our plan and makes it happen because it is the safest way for me and my family to create wealth. Okay. So Going back to kind of all of this, I just want you to know that there's a system, there's a process, there's a set of rules that we stick to. We try to remove the emotional emotion away. Now, we're now going to get a little bit granular because I think we need to, Jane, because one of the other ones that I, I get asked is around like, what investments do you go in? And obviously we can go into like heaps and heaps of different options, okay? But I just want to kind of keep it very to the point okay and user friendly and user friendly is the, <laughs> is the point yeah one we want to be making sure that when we get investments that they're really based around not a lot of costs between my money and the end result and so what i mean is about fees and charges okay so you want it to try and be low cost okay because you got to think about it. Like, let's say you get a really high active manager. So let's just use a, a managed fund or just use an ETF. Yeah. There's what they call ICR costs or investment cost ratios, or make it even simpler management fees. Okay. Yeah. And the management fees is my money. I pay the manager the management fees, and then I've got to get the return. And what the manager is saying is that I'm going to outperform the market. I'm going to stock pick. Okay. So you've got to think about this, that they've got to consistently outbeat the market. Now, if you think about some of the best that are out there, they'll tell you that trying to beat the market is extremely, extremely difficult. And there's actually data out there that over a 15-year period, okay, 
85% of fund managers don't beat the market. Now, what I'm talking about the market, I am literally talking about, let's say you grabbed your money and you threw it into all of the stocks in the Australian Stock Exchange. Yeah. That grows at a particular level. Yeah. Fund managers try to outbeat that if they're investing in the Australian stock market and 85% of them don't win. So they take your fees and they don't perform at the level that they need to perform at. Wow. Okay. So cost is very important. Okay. Um, tax structuring, huge. Okay. When you're investing, how are you actually investing for the best tax outcomes? Like, for example, are you investing in a growth orientated investment? Um, because you don't need that passive income stream. Where does the where does it sit in the buckets? Yeah, like yeah. literally, where does it sit in the buckets? And what's the tax outcome? Like, imagine us putting a really high income producing asset on a person at a forty seven cents in the dollar tax rate. Well, guess what? Forty seven cents of that earnings of yeah, every dollar of that earnings is gone. Yeah, yeah. So it's fees and taxes are very important when we're choosing the investment. Now, as an overarching view. It doesn't matter if it's property, doesn't matter if it's stocks, doesn't matter if whatever it is, quality first. And I'm willing to pay extra for good things. Yeah. Okay. Now, when you think about what I'm talking about, this is let's say you had two shares, okay, to understand my philosophy. You've got the share that everyone's telling you, or the company that everyone's telling you is going to be the next best thing. Okay. Cheap, but going to be amazing, okay? Or you've got the other side where you've got a business with good cash flows, good profit margins, cash in the bank, mm. healthy balance sheet, reputable name, brand. Who does John choose? Quality. Yeah. Quality, quality at all times. And I'm willing to pay extra for quality. Now, in what they call upward markets, okay, or, or bull markets, okay, or when things are prosperous, yeah, the hope stock, yeah, he's mm. going to do really well, boys. you know, everyone, it's going to do really well, yeah, it's going to be the one because everyone's pouring money in, Woo, look at this thing go to the They're moon, yeah, just think about it like the turtle and the rabbit, yeah, back the turtle, slow mm. and steady wins the race, okay, and also, we're trying to, when we invest clients' money, okay, trying to say, well, you know what? Do we need to actually buy a particular stock? And in most cases, we don't. Remember what we just told you around 85% of fund managers actually don't beat the market? Mm. Our philosophy is based on looking at that Okay, and saying, well, what's the highest probability of us achieving our goals? Well, if we can be as closely linked to the market. Yeah. Now, the last piece of advice that I have is the power of rebalancing. Okay. Now, yeah. Which I don't understand. I mean, I sort of do, but in layman's terms, please, John. <laughs> yeah, because obviously this is getting technical in regards to some of this stuff, but guys, I'm trying to stay as light on as I can. Okay. Rebalancing is very, very important. And the problem is, is that everyone says that they'll do it the right way. But once again, emotions get in the way if you don't have the right systems in place for it to be done. So to keep it simple, 
we've got this strategic asset allocation, okay? This rules, okay? That's gonna create the highest probability of you achieving your outcomes. And we're trying to automate this as much as possible. And at least once a year, okay? This is, comes from Benjamin Graham. If you haven't read the book, The Intelligent Investor, he wrote the book, but he's also a great, great investor. Um, he's no longer with us, but he essentially, Warren Buffett calls this book, the Bible of investing, just to say how important it is, okay? Anyway, you must be re re rebalancing at least once a year, okay? But let's say, I don't know, the market, stock market has crashed. And in your strategic asset allocation, we need 40% exposure in the stock market, okay? Because that's what's going to drive the highest probability of you achieving your outcome. And let's just say we're in a scenario that stock market has crashed by 50%, okay? That 40% is now 20% of your overall asset allocation, okay? It's mm -hmm. dropped by, 20, by 50%, yeah? Well, when you're reviewing your, when you're periodically reviewing your stuff, Okay. Oh we want to be financial advisories. <laughs> financial advisories. We want to be rebalancing back to that level. Now, sounds easy, yeah? But just remember, we're talking about the stock market has just crashed by 50%. The news is smashing it, saying this is a bloodbath. Oh my gosh, this is the worst in history. They will be telling you this is unprecedented. It's never happened like this. Record here, record here, record here. Mm. But since I, I've been paying attention to this stuff, that mm -hmm. seems to happen every other week. Yeah, it's the, remember, it's the news, yeah? Yeah. So Their, what, their job is to sell ad, ads, ads um, space, not to actually inform us, unfortunately. Exactly. So when you're yeah. cutting out all the noise and then you're looking at your portfolio and your portfolio is, is down there, we're then looking at it and saying, okay, well, what do we actually need to increase? And your exposure is then down. We need to increase. Now, at the same time, remember, because your stocks are down by 40%, if it was then asset allocated with a diverse portfolio and then you've got cash, because that exposure has gone down, well, guess what? Your cash inadvertently is a higher percentage. It's more, it's valued more, yeah? So we need to grab that cash and put it into the stock market. And on the flip side, if the stock market is going up, we need to go the other way. Now, think about it emotionally, yeah? Just to take this in real times. John, you're telling me my stocks are thriving. They're smashing the market. We're doing yeah. double-digit returns. And you're telling me right now to trim them and put them into cash? Are you ludicrous? Cash is earning us nothing. Stick to the plan, yeah? It's to create the highest probability of you achieving your outcome with the lowest risk to create certainty of you achieving your goal. This is what we build. This is what we do. This is what I do, even in my personal life. This is what I be taught. And for the great advisors out there and the forefathers of investing and wealth creation, they all say the same. Build a machine, build a process, stick to the rule, and you will smash it. Mm. And it all needs to be based on what's your goal. If you are not objective-based and you are just investing to make money, just think about a moment when you're not making money. What happens? Emotion sets in and you end up making silly decisions with your money. I hope that's been a wrap and an insight into my wealth creation <laughs> and investment philosophy. But as you can see, I can go on for absolutely ages. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I certainly know more than I did at the beginning of this conversation. So, all right, to wrap us up, mm -hmm. beyond the various schooling that you've had mm -hmm. as to be a financial advisor and a mm -hmm. tax 
person. Um, <laughs> tax financial advisor, yeah. Tax financial advisor. Who inspired your learning about investment philosophy? Because there are many people out there. Yeah. Um, so, so I would say that, look, I just had a fascination when I was a young kid about kind of linking all the successful people together. It's like, if I want to be successful myself, and obviously I've been driven for a long time, like what do all these people have in common? And then it led me on to obviously my business side of things. But then when you start digging deeper and you start to look in, you start to realize that all of them have like commonality, even mm. from a wealth creation. And so, yes, obviously then you lead into people like Warren Buffett, great business, Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. Oh, what's their philosophy in regards to investing? Then you start to dig in deeper. So I think Warren Buffett was a big influence on my investment philosophy, huge influence. And obviously his teachings and his readings. I think the other one as well too, is that obviously along the way, the, the, the fundamentals of wealth creation are, have, have been there for a, been there for a long time. Mm. Okay. And so, uh, they're drip fed, I think, from individuals that are really good in these particular areas. Like one we haven't spoken about today in wealth creation is around personal protection. So as much as you're growing your wealth, protecting your ass on the way through is very important. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, you know, my cousin who where I started my business, he was an absolute gun when it came to personal protection advice. It was like, he was that guy to go to. Yeah. So, you know, I understood that covering your backside like that came from someone in australia that's like a local person but he's just absolutely nailed it mm. so warren buffett then obviously deeper you get into you know uh you get into benjamin graham and benjamin graham's teaching and a lot of these people think that these people are like washed up or like their, their philosophies don't stand today then you kind of look about in history and you even go like even further and you see if these philosophies hold true throughout history which is one of my passions mm. And they actually do, like they actually do. And so those, I think, two were the main ones. There's obviously a lot of a, a lot of others. Uh, Howard Marks as well, too. Um, Tony Robbins has some really, really good uh, wealth creation techniques in regards to his like building machine as well. I do think that Tony Robbins obviously has piggybacked off some of these guys as well, too, and kind of put into his to do. And so this is why I say that these two are, are probably really the ones, but... I would say for people that are starting out, I kind of recommend these all the time. The psychology of money like opens up your mindset and the emotional behaviors when you're investing. The next one as well too is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, okay? About the fundamentals, about the way he explains it is like what the rich teach their kids that, you know, the poor don't, yeah? But really he's kind of talking about the fundamentals of wealth creation, okay? Yeah. There's another book which isn't for everyone, but I absolutely love it, which is called The Richest Man in Babylon, okay? The Richest Man in Babylon, reason why some people don't relate to it, it's written in kind of like a historical story, yeah, about how this person kind of comes like the richest man in Babylon, yeah, or, or the, how, how the philosophy, sorry, around the richest man in Babylon and how that, how he is the richest man in Babylon, okay? And it's talked in like a bit of like a Bible kind of Hebrew version, okay? But... Those three books, if you got yourself to that level, mm. awesome. Now, if you want to take it to the next level, okay, then do what I've done. Study Warren Buffett. Study Benjamin Graham. I gave a book to one of my listeners who's probably going to listen called The Intelligent Investor from Benjamin Graham. The book's about, 
It's literally one of those ones that you could sleep on. It's a pillow, okay? Harry Potter number seven. Yeah, like literally <laughs> huge. But, you know, then you've got to think about it is, you know, do you have the time and the energy and you actually want to do this stuff? Now, if you want to, it's probably going to lead you to you becoming a financial advisor <laughs> and then doing what you need to do. Or the outsource of all of this to a financial advisor is exactly the same as like, I think being a doctor, you know, like I, do I want to actually, you know, all right, do surgery and actually do that or am I, what level of fascination and how deep do I want to go with this? You've got to love it. You've got to love it. And I think the yeah. other thing is, James, just from this talk, you could probably start to realize the sheer length of research and time and effort and everything that goes into me telling a, a client, move $1 from here to here. Mm. It's not just like guesstimating, you know what I mean? Mm. And it's not, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, well, I think it's going to happen. No, yeah, I, I learned this last week off a piece of paper and this is what yeah. we're going to do. <laughs> Some dude on, influence, on Instagram said, no, yeah. it is based in science. Yeah, correct. There's a lot of science about it. There's a lot of behavioral finance um, and there's a lot of tried and tested stuff over hundreds and hundreds of years that we're mm. applying into people's situations because when it comes to their financial future, we're not stuffing around, yeah? Like yeah. these clients aren't entrusting us to be roughly there, if that makes sense. Like when yeah. they want to retire, they, they, they're going to want to retire. When they want to achieve their goals, if they want their wedding, they're going to get married. Like yeah. we can't stuff around when it comes to their financial future. And that's why clients come to see us because it's around being so laser focused on these objectives. And so that they look back and say, you know what? Yep, we've done that. We've done that. We've done that. We've done that. And that's ultimately what we're benchmarked on. So I live my life like that. You know that, Jane. And for people that follow me, that's the way that I operate my life, not just in finance, but in, in my life in general. If you set a goal, you have a plan, you stick to it, guess what? Great things are going to happen if you've got consistency about it. Mm. I love it, John. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks, I'm Jane. I'm sure it was enlightening for our listeners. That's it. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cash Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to learn more about me, jump onto my Instagram at, at the John Kasher, and you'll find me there or at my website at www.johncasher.com.au. Thanks for listening. Cheers.